Welcome to the Gospel Journey Podcast. The Gospel Journey exists to help our people get into discipleship relationships that are centered on God's Word and led by His Spirit. Today, we're in week 7 of Path 8, Hebrews chapter 10. My name is Jamie Trussell, and I'm grateful to be joined this morning by Pace McKee. All right, Pace, so thankful you could be with us, uh, especially with all your experience in student ministry, uh, both in Houston and as our student pastor here at Harvest, and I think you're going to add some real good insight along the way that we haven't had thus far. Uh, just to bring everybody up to speed, uh, in Hebrews, one of the main things we've been unpacking is the author of Hebrews writing to presumably either a group he was pastoring or a group he was intimately familiar with and exhorting them to persevere, to not depart from the faith. And, and in their context, leave or depart from Christ and return to, to Judaism or the old covenant system, which in his argument is inferior uh, to Christ in the new covenant. We see that point again made clear here as he picks up in chapter 10, says this, for since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of its realities. Now, some pretty high theological language starting off here. And just to, to help maybe bring some clarity for our groups, uh, the, the argument of the author here, Pace, is not that the law was bad. Or, or 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 ever that somehow God made a mistake. It's simply saying it was incomplete. Right, I agree. I always like the the idea that it was. Um, it's not a bad thing. It was just incomplete. Right, there was more to it. That uh, there was something left to be said. And so, yeah, I agree with you wholeheartedly there. And it talks about these true form, uh, kind of like the 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 true form of these realities. Well, what are the realities that he's referencing here? Well. Uh, man's need for a savior, uh, the the uh, dark, uh, a stark nature of our sin, our separation from God, our need to be reconciled. All of those things were illustrated in the old covenant, but they were not done or or brought to completion in a way to cure any of them. Does that make sense? Right. Absolutely. I really like the old covenant, and I see that it's um it's really just preparing the way mm. for us in the sense that it does it reveals our need uh for Christ. That's exactly right. And Paul would even say that in Galatians, if it weren't for the law, me paraphrasing, then it would have been almost impossible to know uh, all the sin we were in because the law lays it out. Uh you know, we wouldn't know it was wrong to speed if we didn't have a law against it. Now, Internally, our consciences before the law would convict us of what was sin. The law made it even more clear how pervasive our sin was in that old covenant system. So here's what he says. Here's the argument. Okay, you can leave. You can depart from Christ. You cannot persevere, and you can go back to the old covenant. If you do, here's what's true. You're leaving a once and final sacrifice for a system of unending sacrifices that never actually take away your sin. I mean, his, his argument becomes one of logic. Just consider these two things logically. Why would you go from a once and final sacrifice to this ongoing system that never takes your way your sin anyways? Absolutely, absolutely. I, I read this, I always see just the contrast between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. You see exactly what you're saying. Like the, the language is always a once and for all in verse 10, or it's a, a mm, many times. Good. It's a year after year. It's an over and over. You, so you see these contrasts of like, is it? you know, that permanent redemption, or is it this over and over? And you just see that over and over the one sacrifice or the many sacrifices, the, the, the priest constantly standing to do the sacrifice, or you see Christ sitting down at the right um, hand of God. So absolutely. And he, he, 
you know what what's so funny here is that we can't get it's not funny uh, but we can't get into the first century mindset of the group he's writing to but look when he starts quoting these old testament verses moving into verse five all the way through verse seven this is this is a, a world-altering paradigm shifting stuff for them i mean when jesus or when the author is writing this about christ you know when christ came in the world he said sacrifices and offerings you have not desired i mean you got anybody living at that time in the jewish system of worship is going what on earth are you talking about now to us worrying well of course it's not what god desired but this is this literally is reshaping everything they knew to be true about god here and and here's what jesus says but a body you prepared for me in burnt offerings and sin offerings, you've taken no pleasure. Hmm. It's Well, hold on. In the Old Testament, it says those are pleasing to God. What is going on here? And at the core of this quote from Christ you know, is, as Christ is referencing the Old Testament, is this. I think God is after our hearts. Absolutely. I mean, as simply as I can put it. Yeah, is, absolutely. And we can read this and go, we don't do burnt offerings anymore or whatever, but... I mean, truly, are our hearts rendered to God, or do we in our own ways still operate in old covenant systems? Yeah, absolutely. I, I see the same thing in the text. One of the things that just always has stuck out to me in this passage was just, you know, who who, who is your priest, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you got all of these, every priest who are going in, performing these sacrifices, or you have the great high priest. That's good. Is it Jesus? Like, is he the one who's at the center of your heart? Because exactly what you said, he is, he is looking for that he is looking for our hearts in this and if anything you know the the old covenant is here to reveal our need for a priest to mediate on our behalf yes but we need the great high priest we need jesus we do and to carry that analogy forward because he just spent a few chapters back six and seven talking about melchizedek and the great high priest and all that Uh, so, so to keep that priest language going yeah uh, I can, in ways, either consciously or just by default, start operating as my own priest. And all that, I mean, is me determining the system by which I'm reconciled to God. Now, when I sit here and verbally tell you it's only through Christ I would, but on a functional day-to-day basis, if that's playing out in any way, shape, or form based off my performance or my works or... What I've really done is I've tried to dethrone Christ as my high priest, and I've tried to take on the priestly role, determining what I must do to be reconciled to God. Absolutely. Uh, okay, so press pause. We've got you this morning. Um, just as you work in student ministry, this idea of Old Covenant, New Covenant, which I'm sure most teenagers don't talk in, in, in those terms. Uh, most middle schoolers and high schoolers probably don't think, think through it that way, but... Do you see this uh, temptation, uh, this pattern of defaulting to performance as a big struggle in your area of ministry? Yeah, I think many teenagers deal with this, and it sinks in. Just like you were saying, it just sinks into every area of our life that we want to trade out. Again, that verse 10, that once for all sacrifice, we want to trade that out for our own merits, our own accolades, our own achievements. And so for teenagers, I, I see that so often. And, and it can be good things, right, Jamie? It could be um, this idea of I want to honor my parents well. And, uh, and so that, you know, they begin to kind of push that in. That becomes the, mm. the ultimate thing. Or, um, 
grades or what, whatever it is. So like they want to trade that out. And, and it's just this once for all cycle. It should be a reminder to us that we come to Christ with, with no merit of our mm-hmm. own, no work of our own, that we come to him um, for everything. And, and you mentioned sometimes it's, it's like, it's not things that we would look at and deem bad, like honoring your parents. It's, it's a good thing. But here's the language I don't usually use in thinking through this. And maybe y'all could kick it around in your gospel journey groups this week when we're trying to perform. Okay. His all referencing here of burnt offerings, sin offerings. That's, that was all prescribed things in the old covenant. Those were not bad things in of themselves. Um, but when I'm trying to perform, and that may be through uh, uh, evangelism, through my own devotional life, through church attendance, through tithing, whatever it is, if my performance is attached to that, here's what this text says. It says, God doesn't take pleasure in it. Now think about that. You mean I could actually tithe and God not be pleased? Absolutely. Right. God, God doesn't need my, especially my money because there's not a lot of it. God doesn't <laughs> need our money. He's got every, he created every resource in the entire universe. Can he actually find no pleasure in what seemingly looks like obedience? He can Mm. when it's divorced from the reality of our heart. Mm. And that's a pretty striking New Testament truth. Would you agree with that? Yeah, that's, that's, that's really uh, convicting too, because I feel like. That's what I'm here for, Pace. Yeah, thank you. I really appreciate that, Jamie. No, but for sure, it just, um, it speaks to your heart that. We can get into this performance mindset, even in the church, even in the good things, um, how we serve, how we lead, uh, and, and we try to lift that up, and it becomes in an inordinate place, and it's taken That's the right. place of, of you know of Christ. Yeah, it's amazing, too. Even in vocational ministry, you can do so much that's that probably to most people in our church looks like laboring for the Lord, and, and even in my heart, I'm, I, I'm going, you have no idea. And not in a condescending way, but going like, man, there's some days I come and it, it it feels like I clocked in and clocked out of a job. I didn't commune with the Lord in any different way than I would have if I were crunching numbers as, as an accountant. And it, it, it's just a, it's a weird deal how compartmentalized even those of us that get paid to be Christians uh, <laughs> here at Harvest. Uh, like the, the, the temptation and challenge is no different from us for us as far as compartmentalizing it and it becoming a ritual set of, of weekly performances divorced from the intimacy and engagement of my heart. That's absolutely right. And just as that reminder, and it's anyone, right? It's not just church staffers. It's, it could be you who, who are, you're leading the gospel journey group. You're trying to, to make disciples and you, you show up to your group and, and you just come and you think, man, maybe I'm here just to, uh, put on a show or to Mm. look good in front of certain people instead of I'm here simply out of what Christ has done for me and the overflow of what he did is, is propelling me and compelling me Mm. to this. Yeah, that's really good. And, and to drive that point home, yeah, it really doesn't matter if others in our gospel journey groups are impressed with us or not impressed with our knowledge, impressed with how we can unpack theological thoughts, impressed our ability to teach or whatever it may be. Uh, uh, and that that kind of processing that does uproot some motive a little bit and some heart condition a little bit. We all come to these groups just like we all should be coming to the church gathering on Sundays. We are, by the very nature of showing up, saying, I'm in desperate need. It yeah. really makes no sense to go to church or belong to Christ if you're not in desperate need. 
This would sure. be like the lamest social hobby on planet Earth. <laughs> right. So we show up, and by the very nature of our presence, should be saying we are in desperate need, which, incidentally, is a pretty good segue to verse 22 in chapter 10, which is not necessarily a confusing verse, but, man, it is a powerful verse because it is a reminder of the relational nature of God. I'm just going to read it for us. Uh, beginning in verse 22 of chapter 10, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. I love the fact that even when, even in pastoral ministry, when my motives are off, uh, when my heart's still darkened, I'm doing things to perform out of fear of man. Even when I recognize that here's what this text says, I can draw near to the very God that I've just offended. Yes. Why? He has, using old, old covenant language, sprinkled and washed, sprinkled blood and washed me clean. And so the very God I've been uh, kind of uh, uh, trying to perform and, and elevating myself to his same place uh, by determining what I should do to get his favor that, that I'm in rebellion against, that's the very same God I can approach. In confidence in my repentance, it's 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 truly remarkable. That's yeah, amazing, and, and it just it it harkens back. Even just this very idea harkens back to the the once and for all sacrifice that that it's it's been completed. That you know under old covenant, right? As soon as that high priest sacrifices, and then you walk out, you you know you you sin, and then you're stuck in the same you're stuck in the same spot, right? But Christ having cre- you know having done that once and for all sacrifice that you draw near to him um, and he draws draws near to you I mean it's an ama- it's an amazing truth and again like that drawing near just that idea that, that you, you can approach him like he is a pro- he's an approachable he God yeah and that when it says a full assurance of faith I, I love defining faith as a tangible expression of trust mm-hmm. just meaning this I can actually trust God. With my repentance. Yes. I can trust when I go to him, he's actually going to forgive me. Now, yes. I, don't wanna, I don't want to lead someone down a road to think there may still be a consequence for that sin. I mean, there are earthly consequences to our sins. But I, I don't have to fear condemnation. I don't have to fear rejection. I mean, what other relationship is outside maybe our marriage covenants? Can we truly say I have zero fear of rejection? Absolutely. Fully known. Fully accepted. Fully known, though. fully accepted, yeah. fully loved. I mean, even in our marriages, like, and I love being married to Shanna, but even in our marriages, there's fallenness. There's sometimes, you know, we, we don't fully accept one another because our sin hurts each other's feelings. Or, But with God, there is full and complete acceptance. Yeah, it seems it seems uh, it seems incomprehensible, but like that's the I think that's the the, the great paradox that's at play here that. As Christ was the sacrifice, we when we draw near, you know, we come near to Him and we realize He's alive, and mm. that's the paradox. That, like that's the great paradox of the text that's is like we come and as as we draw near, um, we kind of peek through and we find that Christ is alive. He's, he's alive. seated on the throne, mm. even though He was the very sacrifice for us. He is the resurrected King, and that's good. And I would I would go uh, to this point off of what you just said. Uh, I, I meet I just met with a guy a few weeks ago that. This idea of approaching that living, resurrected Christ in confidence. Uh, now, he's a believer and, and, and does love the Lord, but he is stuck 
and he cannot fully receive grace and forgiveness. It's as if he's put himself in a special category of, well, yeah, I believe Christ's blood could fully forgive everyone else, but like you don't know all the terrible things that I've done. I said, well, you're right, I don't, but God does. And he's trying to ask me, okay, what do I do so that I can fully accept this grace? And, and there's nothing, that's the that's the irony of the Christian faith. There's no silver bullet that I can put in your gun and you shoot it. And finally, like, it's incomprehensible. It is something we take by faith that you just have to believe God's grace really is that big, that pervasive, that loving, and just receive it. There's no special formula to remove those barriers except drop your hands and receive the truth of this passage. Right. And the truth is the, the truth is what does it. The truth is what moves us into, uh, you know, into that lifestyle, into that obedience. And we even see that uh, just a little bit above that passage. We're like, you know, it is God who's writing his truth on our hearts. And as Ooh. that truth becomes real to us, it's, it begins to move us into an obedient lifestyle. And you even see right there in the beginning of, uh, of verse 19, you see that therefore, right? He's transitioning that out. Right. He's like, because of this theological argument I've made and, um, I guess really, you know, the first 10 chapters, now I'm kind of, tra- and you see him making that transition of here's how it's going to affect the way you live, Jamie. It's going to affect your, you have this confidence, right? You have this great high priest. And so you draw near and you, yes. and you, you hold fast and you consider how you can spur one another on and it moves you into this lifestyle. And that's a continuing relationship, isn't it? It's, uh, oh yeah, we uh, preach about it. Uh, back in the summer when we were doing the hidden series of John fourteen twenty one, there's this relationship with, with obedience and intimacy. Mm-hmm. And it's this ongoing deal that if I really believe Christ has done this for me, I'm compelled by love to want to obey him because it pleases him. Mm-hmm. The more I am pleasing him, then the more intimacy I have with him, which then the more I want to please him, the more intimacy I have. It, it's this ongoing, just brilliant cycle that God says we get to enter into freely because of what Christ has done on our behalf. Absolutely. Uh, here's what's interesting as we move forward a little bit in this chapter is he's just exhorted us to draw near to God. And I think linked part of our process of, of drawing near to God and being in this presence of this throne of grace linked with the ongoing meeting with and ministry of other Christians. And you see that in verses 24 and 25. He, he begins 20, 24 with and. So that's a continuing. That conjunction continues. It doesn't contrast anything. Uh, it says, and let us consider that idea being of mathematical precision. It means I'm going to put some, some serious thought in how to do this, how that's to right. stir up one another that's to right. love and good works, right? So that necessarily means I've got to be in proximity and relationship with you mm. because I have to, A, know who is Pace, then I got to think through with great intentionality, which if you're a gospel journey group leader, this, this is huge. This is how you're thinking through the people you're yeah. meeting with. I'm thinking through, okay, how do I, in the power of the spirit, stir up pace towards love and good works, which is impossible if a, I don't know you right. and B, I'm not spending some type of continual time with you. Yeah. You have to know the need, you know? And I think that's so important. Like we talked about discipleship is, as it's that life and truth, right? You got to have the truth certainly, but you got to know that you got to be with them in their lives to know, like, here's their need. Mm-hmm. You, you know, here's, here's where they're struggling. Here's where I need to, to, you know, consider how I can spur them on towards love and good deeds. You have to know them. And that's so, it's so important to get that relational time. It's that's gotta right. be more than just, you know, this one time a week where you sit around a table. That's right. And verse 25, 
not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of son. Now, I would say, contextually, Gospel Journey group leaders, you can't throw this at your people. That's <laughs> like why they should you be, be with you. Yeah, perfect. It's not exactly why it was written, uh, but not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. Presumably, that some are the people he's described earlier in the letter that are kind of walking away. Mm-hmm. But encouraging one another, all the more as you see the day, that'd be the day of Christ appearing, mm-hmm. drawing near. Uh, here's the reality. There is no no biblical framework for me and Jesus Christianity. Yeah. It's just not there. It's a That's a modern thought. It is, in my opinion, uh, this whole uh, beginning uh, back in uh, 18th, 19th century Europe coming across to us of this individualistic, human-centered worldview where my personal freedom trumps everything. And inasmuch as Jesus gets along with my personal freedom, I'll approximate him into my life. Uh, that's not The Bible doesn't know anything about that. Not, that's right. And not saying God's ignorant, but it is presumed in this book, that if you come to faith in Christ, you are necessarily linked to others who are also, uh, who have also come to faith in Christ. That's, that's so right. Yeah, it's just that temptation. Like, you know, I, I, in conversations I've had with the lost, yeah, well, my God would never do that. Like, my God would never allow this event to happen. My God would never allow this circumstance to happen in such and such life. Who's your God? Because right. I don't know my. It's it's the one true God, right? And it's Christ, and so absolutely, yeah. And then, but even inside uh, uh, the faith, you know, and I, I've got buddies. You probably got buddies like this, or maybe even families that you interact with in in your ministry settings. You know, this whole idea of I love Jesus, but I don't need the church, mm. or I love Jesus, but I don't love the church. Well, those aren't synonymous. Certainly, yeah. Christ is Christ. It is the Son of God. But, again, part of what Jesus says that he did was cleanse a people for himself Mm. to which, whether you like it or not, if you are found in Christ, you do belong to the church. You cannot like it all day long, but if you're in Christ, you can't escape it. And biblically, how how do you live out all of these love one another, serve one another, uh, bear one another's burdens. I mean, I don't. I just don't know in what context you're able to live that out unless you're in committed communion with other believers. Absolutely, because well, I ain't serving my podcast. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I ain't bearing the burden of whatever Village or Matt Chandler or T or you know uh, Tony Evans podcast I did that week. Absolutely, you have to have the brothers and sisters who are going to come alongside you. You're going to put an arm around you. You're going to point you in the right direction when you begin to, you know, go a little wayward. They bring you back and they they keep, you know, they keep stirring you uh, towards that. You have to, you have to have it. It's it, you will be lost without it. You will. And 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 it. Well, now, when you say lost, right there, do you mean lost eternally, or are you just saying wayward in your in your walk with Christ? Wayward. Yeah. Just we had to clarify that for. All six of you listening to this this one, <laughs> um, yeah. And so, look, we're we're gonna stop there because I could push this to a mm-hmm. legitimate plug for why you should be members of your local church. And if you're not a member of Harvest, we'd encourage you to find a church you do feel comfortable becoming yeah. a member of. But it, Jesus purchased the church. God created the church. Uh, the New Testament authors tell us how to organize the church. It's a big deal. And it is part of God's plan for our spiritual maturity. Um, all right, before we before we finish up, we do get a warning passage here at the end of chapter 10. Uh, we're not going to unpack this in detail. Here's what I'm going to encourage all of you 
to do is go back to the first week of our Hebrews Gospel Journey podcast. We dealt with, uh, in its own section, a way to process and deal with these warning passages and how to navigate the whole idea and, and thought of can someone lose their salvation or not. So, Pace, we're not going to unpack that in detail this morning, but I just want to make sure everyone knows where to go back to find the framework through which to process these difficult passages. Pace, thanks for joining us this morning. Thanks for having me, Jamie. Yep.